Welcome to the Multifamily Mavericks Podcast, hosted by Josiah Smelser and Megan Greathouse. This is your one-stop shop for building and growing your multifamily business. Join us on a weekly basis as we crack the code to multifamily investing and scale up to financial freedom. And now your hosts, Josiah and Megan. Hello, Multifamily Mavericks. Thank you for being here with us again today. My name is Megan Greathouse, and I'm your host for the day, bringing to you an interview with Liz Faircloth. We just spoke with Liz's husband, Matt, several weeks back, and we were really excited to get Liz on here because while they are both the co-founders of the DeRosa Group, Liz has also gone into some other ventures on her own. She is the co-creator of the Real Estate Invest Her community. They have a podcast that's weekly, Um, And you can find that anywhere podcasts are, a Facebook group that you can join to kind of really become part of this group and find out about their different events in person and virtual. Um, And they actually just published a book. So the Real Estate Invest Her group is the publisher behind Ashley Wilson's book, which we talked about several weeks back as well, uh, The Only Woman in the Room. And it's a compilation of stories from women in real estate. Um, just telling, you know, what they've done, how they've gotten to where they are being a minority in this industry. So Liz, on top of being a great multifamily investor, also has a lot of other things she's working on. And we talk about a lot of those today. We also dig into partnerships in kind of a unique way, in a way that I don't think we've done yet on this podcast. Liz has a background in consulting where she really focused on partnerships and team building. And she has a lot of great tips and resources that anyone out there can use as you're looking to build larger. Um, As we keep saying, multifamily is a team sport. So how do you build the correct team? How do you hire or how do you partner to make sure you've got everything you need, that you're complementing your own weaknesses to create a strong group to really go after these multifamily opportunities. She gives so many great tips for that today. So I was really excited about this. I'm digging into some of the the tips and the resources that she gave me during this conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you. Let's go straight to the interview with Liz Faircloth. Before we get started, let's take this opportunity to get connected. You can find me on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor. You can find Megan on Instagram at Part-Time Empire and our show on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks. We're also both on LinkedIn. And if you're a multifamily investor, a multifamily syndicator, a mom and pop owner, wanna partner with us on a deal, or even have a deal you wanna sell, get in touch with us. We wanna hear from you. Shoot us a message through Instagram or LinkedIn, and let's get to know each other. Welcome back to another episode of Multifamily Mavericks. I'm very excited today to bring Liz Faircloth. We actually just had her husband, Matt, on the podcast a few weeks ago, and I couldn't let him go from that episode without getting him to promise to connect me with Liz. So I'm very excited to have you here today, Liz. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Megan. Excited to be here with you and your, your audience. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you doing today? I'm doing great, you know, yeah. doing well, doing good, well. Good, Well, um, for those who don't know, Liz is co-founder of the DeRosa Group with her husband, Matt. She's also co-founder of the Real Estate Invest Her community. They have a podcast as well as tons of other, I mean, meetups all over the country. It's a really great group. And then they just um, 
launched or published their first book, book through that group, The Only Woman in the Room, uh, which Ashley Wilson uh, compiled the stories of 20 different women in real estate, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, just doing amazing things, both in real estate and multifamily and specifically for um, connecting with and empowering other women in this space. So we're so excited to talk to you today, Liz. Could you please maybe just start us off with giving us a quick intro and kind of your, your path? What, what brought you into multifamily real estate? Sure. Um, you know, like many people, I didn't grow up, I didn't grow up with real estate. I didn't grow up with parents who invested in real estate. Um, and, and both my parents, both my husband's parents and my parents, um, were very hardworking, you know, people, if you will, you know, like just, you know, middle-class family, great family, hard work ethic is what I was raised with. Um, and obviously valuing money, but it wasn't like, you know, money, money at times was scarce, you know? So I remember just hard work and my dad was a school teacher. My mom worked part-time in insurance. So, um, I was very grateful for my upbringing. I just never even knew about entrepreneurship. I never knew about real estate investing. I, I didn't even know that concept, um, until my brother-in-law started a business and he, um, was dating my sister and he, and he's just like really into, um, self-growth and, and, and personal growth, personal development, gave me tons of books, gave me think and grow rich. And then they gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, I'm like, and he's like, you got to read this. And I was 20, I was probably 23 when I read it. Mm -hmm. And I was just out of uh, college and I was in grad school getting my degree in social work. I wanted to be a therapist. That was my goal. And that's what I was at um, University of Pennsylvania to do to get my master's degree and then open my own practice. And I read that book and like my eye, like a light bulb went on. I was like, wow, um, this is a whole different way to think about money, right? I, I actually don't need to work hard for it. Uh, you do need to work hard. It's a different approach now, right? <laughs> I still yep. work very hard. It's just different. So, so the whole idea of passive income and working for yourself and uh, the importance of um, working in something where you're, you're influencing people and selling and how to do that. He talks about all that, right? Robert Kiyosaki. So I was really just intrigued. I didn't do anything at the time, but I was just intrigued and my mind was open. And while I was at grad school, long story short, I took an entrepreneur class. And that's kind of unheard of because quite honestly, people when they're in their masters don't like take other classes at other schools. It's just sort of random. So I had to kind of fight for it. I actually got told no a few times and I'm like, no, I'm here at Penn at the Wharton School. I'm taking a class at the Wharton School. If I'm going to be here at University of Pennsylvania, why not? Right? Because it's like right. literally the best, best business school in the country or something. So um, I took an entrepreneur class and that opened my mind to just business and sales and all those sort of things. So I finished my graduate degree and met my husband and gave him the book. And then we just started talking and talking about what, you know, to do this together. And we took courses and just little baby steps for about a year. We took courses at the local RIA and, um, and then we found a property after, you know, you go there and they tell you all these strategies and we um, cold called a bunch of people over a hundred cold calls on our first deal. Uh, every weekend we'd call. That's all we did. Like, you know, like in our twenties, we should have been gone out partying and drinking, but <laughs> we made cold calls all weekend and try to find a property. And we found one and we needed about 30,000. It was a duplex in Roxborough, Pennsylvania. And we needed about 30,000 for both the down payment and the, the, re the rehab that ne was needed. And we didn't have that money, neither of us. Um, and so my dad loaned us the money. And uh, that was like our first, first private money deal uh, 15 years ago. And he loaned us the money, we put it in writing, and then, you know, we, we, we made that our first project. And then we kind of pivoted into New Jersey, and, and now we pivot, and we have holdings in four states now, so. That's awesome. And I, I feel like you know you found something special with someone else when you're spending your weekends 
digging into investing in entrepreneurship instead of, you know, getting drunk at the bars. <laughs> so. You know, I was a pretty crazy, like, um, you know, I was almost like, even in college, I, I wasn't like the typical college student, right? So there's like a typical college student and then there's like me. <laughs> so I took things very seriously. Um, you know, I just, I had a good time, but I really was like kind of on the, on the serious spectrum, more serious. And my husband actually in college was not. So the fact when we came together, we had these really similar values was really cool. And then we, um, yeah, then we fought, bought our first property in 20, 2004 is when we bought that first property together. When we were dating, we were, had not even been, we got married in 2005. So we, yeah. we were dating and we bought our first property. That's awesome. So 2004 was your first property. Tell us a little bit about where you went from there. I guess kind of what did you do going forward and when did you make that switch into multifamily and why? So, you know, starting with the duplex opened our eyes to the power of, of multifamily, which was, you know, a lot of people start with single family and then they transition. So we had, you know, the only reason why we started with a duplex was because we were looking close to where my husband was living and everything in that area outside of Philadelphia were little duplexes, little single family homes, little row homes. Mm -hmm. And that was the one we, we ended up finding. It wasn't like this strategy by any means. It was literally anyone who called us back and we could strike up a deal. It could have been anything. Uh, we would have been like, oh, this is great, you know, kind of thing. Cause you don't know what you don't know when you're, you're starting. We transitioned to New Jersey uh, because my, my work at the time, so my husband and I said, listen, you know, my husband's like, I, I'm done doing what I'm doing professionally. One of us needs to, uh, if, if one of us quits our job, one of us kind of needs to keep the, keep the mortgage paid and all that sort of stuff. So we bought a house in New Jersey because at the time, the job that I found was a consulting job and you had to actually live in New Jersey. So my husband said, you know what, why don't I sell my place in PA uh, and, and we'll move to Jersey together, find a home, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So at that point we moved to Bordentown and then we did like a 30 minute radius. We said, okay, we want to invest within 30 minutes of our house. Where could we go? What could we afford? You know, yeah. um, where can we make a difference? Those are the kind of our three market, our big market analysis criteria when we started, which, you know, obviously is not what you do now. Uh, we don't, that's not our market analysis now, of course, but when you start, that was it. What could we afford? Where can we make a difference, which was important to us. And, um, what's close to ha our home. So at that point we kind of said, okay, Mercer County, which was Trenton, Ewing is, is a great opportunity. Trenton is the capital of New Jersey. I don't know where your listeners are from, but you know, it's a city 14 years ago that still was figuring itself out. It's still figuring itself out to be perfectly blunt, but regardless, you know, we're like, Hey, we can make a difference here. We could take these dilapidated properties. We knew nothing about the types of tenants here. You know, we knew nothing really. But, you know, obviously in an environment that we learned a lot about landlording, you know, mm -hmm. we kind of, we started with a more class C environment where um, there's higher unemployment, you know, those sort of things. Uh, and that's, is what it is, you know, and we knew we could try to make a difference and invest. And that's where we kind of landed on with that community. And we our our pivot though, from the duplex, we 1031 exchange, we did a 1031 exchange into a fourplex in Ewing. Because again, it was in that kind of buying criteria. Ewing is, was right outside of Trenton. And then we ended up buying a bunch of four units on that street. Uh, we had, we've sold that portfolio, but that was a kind of building blocks. And then we went to Trenton and that's kind of how we started investing. Yeah. Okay. And you talked a little bit about kind of that, that mentality early on with how you analyze a market. And early on, it's very much, what can I do? And what can I figure out without yeah. having a ton of experience? 
maybe let's pivot now and talk about what's your market analysis look like these days when you're going for much larger buildings or much larger complexes, you know, the commercial side of, of multifamily investing. Uh, share a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, we, we've built a team. So we, you know, what's, what's critical is that you can't do all the pieces of, of large multifamily yourself. You just can't. And, you know, so for us, we, we've had a couple of people on our team that actually are amazing at you're both underwriting the deal, like, you know, and analyzing the deal and looking at the market. So you can't just have somebody underwriting separate from looking at the market. They really are actually kind of like a nice, a nice connection. We have two people who one focuses on underwriting, one focuses on acquisitions, and they work kind of collaboratively together. Now, part of our team. For many years, it, it, we did not have a team. Like we don't have it. We didn't have a team. It was like me and my husband. Um, overall, I'd say we are very interested, especially with COVID and recession and all the things that are kind of in our world right now. Um, you know, job diversity. Are there, are there different types of jobs, sectors in this community that people can, can get a job from, you know, and, and obviously be employed by? That's critical. Never looked at job diversity. We looked at jobs uh, as we got a little smarter, but never thought about the power of diversity. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's assets we've had that are like, it's all in on one sector. That makes us nervous now. We always like to see a diversity of jobs. Um, number two, we always kind of like to see that, you know, we're, we're, we're very big fans. There's lots of different types of multifamily investors. Um, some just invest in class B and class A and some, you know, more value add. We've always been in like a value add multifamily kind of investor. So what we've learned over the time though, you can't necessarily change a market. You can participate in a change of a market. Um, so we you know new construction, uh, our, 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 our jobs coming into the area, uh, what's the supply and de demand, um, you know, what's within an hour of this community that, you know, is there a hot market within a half hour to an hour? Because we're almost like, I love, we love being in sub-markets. Like if it's, if it's on the top 10 list, probably we're not going to do it. We're not going to buy in that particular area. Just because it's hot, it's going to be more expensive. It's probably more class A, B, that kind of thing. But what's like an hour from that, that particular area? That's the kind of areas we like to look at. And, and is there movement going? Are people going there? Because they can't afford that hot area, but they want a nice area and they want an area that's safe. Those are like really good markets for us, if you will. And that's a, something I suggest to people a lot is like, look at what's really popular, hot, a lot of things happening. And then just look on the outside. What's happening? Where are people going? Where are the coffee shops going in? You know, where's the new construction happening? that kind of stuff, um, you know, and, and obviously job diversity and, and obviously population growth. I mean, it's all about supply and demand. You know, my, my community that we live in, you cannot keep a property. I mean, I, I would love, I love my house, but if I didn't love my house and like absolutely adore my community, I would be selling my house to right now. Cause this is like an amazing time to sell. Right. I can get the price like tomorrow. I can, I can have 15 offers. But I'm like, Matt's like, we're not selling our house. I'm like, I really like, you know, that people say, don't get emotional. Uh, I love our house and I love our community. So I'm not going to sell. But if this was a different situation, I'd be selling because this is a supply and demand issue. So I always say that too of multifamily uh, or really kind of flips or any sectors, where is the, it's always supply and demand. If you're buying a self-storage facility and there's 15 other ones and they're not fully occupied, you know, that's going to become a supply and demand issue, right? Um, if they're all occupied and you're buying one that there's a need for, right? So it's all about what's needed, what's there. And, and I always find affordable 
you know, homes, affordable rentals, you know, are always needed in this market. And that's kind of why we focus more on that value add um, working class, you know, rental unit where it's not high end by any means. It's going to be more for people to afford and have a really nice place to live. That's usually why we've always stuck in that kind of product, if you will, you know, where other folks will go in different markets and it's all different philosophies, you know, there's no right and wrong. Yeah, absolutely. When we chatted with your, your husband, Matt, a few weeks ago, he mentioned a a baseball team analogy that he likes to use. You know, if they've got, if the city has a major league baseball team, Mm -hmm. it's probably already too busy or too hot, but Maybe if they have a minor league team, there's some someone worth looking at, or it's an area worth looking at, which yeah. got me thinking quite a bit because I live in and invest in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, have the Cardinals, pretty good baseball team, many years, <laughs> and uh, you know it's a it's a much more affordable city compared to so many places throughout the U.S. because we're smack dab in the Midwest. Yeah, but still, I'm finding trouble having trouble finding you know, the properties where the numbers really make sense and where I feel like, yes, there's this value add opportunity and all these numbers make sense and it'll make sense for those investing with me. Um, So I love the way you guys look at things and and kind of the um, fringe approach, if if we can call it that. Because especially in today's market, you need to be thinking about if everything seems hot, where are the places that are maybe just getting hot or they're going to be getting hot they, they haven't already be, been burning for years because yeah. the value is just not there. And that could be any type of city. I mean, when we, when we made our leap from investing locally to investing two hours away, and at that time, that was a big stretch for us, going literally two hours in the car to a property. Now, you know, we have properties in, in North Carolina and Kentucky. It's, it's you know, it's a, it's a stretch, but it's a, that was a different mindset stretch. But that first stretch was up in um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And Lancaster... Um, by no means is it is it something that's like you know downtown Philadelphia, but it's a, it's a it's a really cheap you know cool little um, city in Pennsylvania. It's got kind of commerce and things, and the and the the, the multi unit property that we found, which is a forty nine unit, about four or five years ago, was about uh, twenty minutes outside of Lancaster. And again, just that little sub market was interesting because it's not like this. It's called Elizabethtown. Right. So um, no one even even heard of it, but it had certain things happening. And then we're like, look, what's going on in Lancaster. Uh, You know, people don't even want to, the people that live in that community are like, Hey, Lancaster is getting overpriced, you know? So again, it can happen. It doesn't just have to happen Philadelphia and then the sub market, like a big city. It could be a small city in the U S and the same concept happening. So it, it could be applied in my opinion, I've seen it applied in small towns, compared to to large commerce of, of a city, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it gets back to just the importance of that market analysis and understanding the areas and what's happening, not just what does it look like right now in the snapshot of time, but how has it evolved already? And what what does that mean for future the future as well? And that, you know, kind of takes me back to what you mentioned about building a team. This is something that we hear so much on this podcast. I mean, I I don't think there's anyone who's come on this podcast who, if we get down to it, doesn't talk about how this is a team sport and multifamily. It requires a team and a lot of people when you're getting into these larger commercial deals, especially. Um, 
I'm curious to hear about kind of what, at what stage were you in your real estate investing? I guess, how far had you gone? Did you have any larger complexes before you built the team? Or did you really build the team to get to those, that first kind of larger complex? And what did those first team members that you brought on look like? That's a great question. I, you know, I think building a team is an evolved, is, evol- is an evolved kind of idea in this business because as you get into larger multifamily, you realize how much you don't know about that, you know, sector, if you will. Now we had been in the business for quite some time. Uh, and what we, we were doing, we were building, we were building out our, you know, 20, really 2010 was when we were like, we really need to start raising money because we are tapped, you know, our, our, you know, our parents lines of credit. I mean, we were kind of scraping and scrimping wherever we could possibly get money. And, and we had a growing portfolio, but we're like, we're tapped. And for us to grow, we really need to bring on partners. And we had done a little bit of it, but we really went all in on focusing on building equity partners. So that's what we started to do um, in, in Trenton. And then we applied that to buying like a 10 unit and like a six unit in Trenton. And it was 16 units that we went on our next syndication. And then we went to an 18 unit. We went very steady and slow, if you will. It was not a five unit to a 200 unit. That's not, was not our path. And I'm not saying people can't do that. It just wasn't ours. So as I think about team members, our team member trajectory was very slow and steady because of that, because our buying was slow and steady, if you will. I don't want to say slow and steady, but it was very incremental. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of value in that. You know, I think we could have taken a leap a little bit sooner, but again, we were, you know, figuring things out as well. So when we went from Uh, the 18 unit, our next purchase was a 49 unit. And that was the one that was two hours away. So not only are we we stretching on unit size, we're also stretching on on proximity, right? Because at that point, we had a team, we had a leasing agent, we had a a tenant manager, tenant relations manager, we had um, a bookkeeper, we had a a full-time maintenance person. We had five people on our team, payroll, of our property management team. And it was getting to the point where we're like, what business are we building? Are we building a property management company? Are we building a real estate company? And, and I'm going to answer your question because our team shifted. So, so at that point we said, okay, we don't want to directly manage anything anymore. That just wasn't the right fit for us anymore. That only happened a few years ago, four years ago, but we knew that was where we wanted to go. We knew this 49 unit would not be managed by our team. So this is the first opportunity to like hire a property management company. So that's the first team member quote unquote, that you really need to look for when you're growing out your larger multifamily, unless that large multi, unless you have a property management company built in the area that you work, but most people looking at multifamily, they're not going to just have that hundred unit next door, just not going to be probably, if that is, that's awesome. But I don't even know if you want to manage that unless you're a professional property management company, like that takes a professional process that takes professional team. And uh, it's just, it's a, it's like, you know, you got to have your A game there. It's not like, let's just figure this out. So we knew we needed to hire someone. We found the company. Um, they're still managing it for us. And um, we also knew the other team member at that point was we knew we need somebody local. We need someone on the ownership side, local. Now your property management company, if they're, if they're a very good one, they're going to be local, but they're also your property management company, right? They're looking out for their own interests and their own needs, ultimately. Now, if they're a good one, they're going to look out for your needs. I don't mean that they don't. And I really do believe our property management company looks out for us. They do. But there is a certain layer, right? If you're an owner, if you own the building versus. So we said we really want to have some local feet on the street. 
And at that point, what was really neat about this particular property is that my husband's cousin lived 10 minutes from the property and he had a bunch of rentals himself. And so he was really, he was already an investor. So this was like literally the perfect person that, right? So he's part of our, on the GP side, the general partner side of that syndication. Um, and we're still partners with him and he's been partners with us in other projects. So that was just a coincidence. And that was just an amazing opportunity. That's not going to happen in every one of our properties, right? That we're going to have like a cousin who's an investor and who's capable and, and has the capacity able to be there. But it, it's a, it's really wonderful. We're, we're now refinancing that building and it's doing so well um, that we're going to, um, we've land with that building that we're going to be building more units. And so as we do that, you know, now we know we have somebody local to kind of keep an eye on the, the general partner side and, and we'll go up there, but it's, you know, 10 minutes, two hours, a little, a little different. So those are the first two team members we brought on when we went from 18 to, to, to 49. Um, when we went from, I'm sorry, yeah, 18 to 49, we went from 49, our next purchase was a 200, 200 uh, 198 unit and that was in North Carolina. So that's a good jump there. <laughs> that was a big jump, right? So, so we're like, okay, so this is now, who do we now need to bring here? Uh, into this fold. And so that point, you really start to get like, your underwriting is a whole different game, right? 200 units versus a 49 unit. There is a different sort of strategy and analysis that like, if you're not amazing at that, you're going to miss certain things. So we knew that that was a gap. We knew that the kind of like the operational, you know, underwriting skill set was, was lacking. Um, not that my husband couldn't do it or I couldn't do it, uh, but it's just different. And, and, and it's a skill set. It's a specific skill set. So, um, so anyway, we found this gentleman and he's still a partner of ours today that he was looking, uh, he was he really analytical, really technical, and he filled that role in to, um, to really help us with that piece. Then he started to do more in the, the actual operational side of it. Cause it's really about what's the business plan. And then you're, you're, you're managing the property management company against that business plan. It's called asset management, you know, the fancy term, but that's really what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You have a business plan and you're managing that property management company to make sure that building is fulfilling the business plan. So you're, you know, everyone can get paid and, and, and the building does well and performs at and above, right? The goals in a nutshell, without getting too technical. So at that point, we knew we needed somebody else. He came on. And then we also said, eventually, we said, we didn't have that local feed on the street because you know, we just didn't know anyone. So we started to build a little bit of a team out there who could do more drive-bys um, and, and just kind of you know, look at things a little differently. We had a lot going on there. We eventually hired somebody on our team to be the asset manager. My husband was doing that, but he's also raising the money. So you need somebody who's like management focus, and then you need like somebody who's like obviously raising the money. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know a lot of people who do it all. It's hard. Yeah. Um, and if they are, they're an exceptional person. I might know a few that run very lean, and, and, and they, but they hire out. They don't do it all themselves. Now, we took the partner approach. So we said, okay, you, part, you do this. You do, so- then as we moved to Kentucky and we really started to grow and scale, that's when we said, okay, we need somebody who's just focused on acquisitions, who's just focused on up underwriting, who's just focused on, on, on asset management. Yeah. And um, how many of these folks would you say, how many are employees versus how many are kind of general partners in these deals? We're more on the side. Like, again, that's the, those are two different, two different ways you can approach it. Right. Some people have like, they're the general partner. They don't give ownership away and they just hire a lot of people. 
Um, that's one approach. We took the partnership approach where, where the person I just said about acquisitions, person I just said about underwriting, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, who was kind of helped us that first larger multifamily, um, and then our asset manager, they're all on the GP side. So again, you're slicing and dicing, right? A, a percentage. Um, so, you know, there's pros and cons, right? You know, of, of, of large multi, you're, you're not gonna, unless you have the money and the, and the team, that'd be awesome if you own 100% of that building. That's rare for larger multifamily teams though, especially ones that have lots of partners. You own a slice of it, but then the game is, okay, how, how do we serve more people and build this thing? So pros and cons, right? You could, have, you could be financially free with six properties if you own them free and clear or take a, a, a larger scale approach, right? There, yep. There's no right and wrong. I'm a big fan of knowing what works for you in your life because if you can stay simpler and earn your financial goals, then you should probably do that. But if you're like, we, we've built a business of raising money, right? So, so we're going with what our strengths are and what kind of team we've built, you know, but as you look back, right, 15 years later, you're like, that's interesting. If we just own that one building ourselves, right? Bingo, you know, that, that would have been different than our growth mode, right? We were really growing. So again, no right and wrong, but I, I always like to say that, that, you know, if you can achieve your goals more efficiently and simply, that's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not about, it's not about unit count, quite honestly. Right. Um, more properties you have, the more things you have to deal with. I mean, we have close, we have almost 250 investors. Yeah. So, so we are, you know, those people are on our mind, right? We want to fulfill what we told them that we want to take care of their, we want to protect their money mm-hmm. and we want to make them money. There's two things. We don't want to make them money. We actually want to protect their, like their initial contribution. So, you know, there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with that, that, that process. It's not just like, you know, oh, you know, we'll just do our best. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is something that I've, has evolved in my own head over time. You know, I started out thinking the more we can just kind of do, I I do it, you know, we're sticking to small multifamilies and we just build our, it up and kind of contract out when we need help with certain things. Mm -hmm. That's simplicity, right? Mm -hmm. Seems like it. And then you get to a point where you realize, wait, simplicity might be be, me being able to focus on the, you know, one or two or three things that I'm really good at and that I enjoy. That's right. And bringing in people who, who have strengths that complement mine and and kind of fill in the gaps of my weaknesses or the things that I don't like doing. And so, you know, simplicity can mean so many things to so many people, but I think what you're talking about with partnering and bringing those people in as equity partners is, is big because you get that many more good minds thinking about how to make things work correctly. People can focus more on the one or two parts of, of the overall business that they do. And when you bring people in as equity partners, they now have way more skin in the game to make sure that this asset performs the way you expected versus just an employee who expects to get their, you know, X dollars per month from you, regardless of what happens. Yeah. So I, I really like the approach you're taking. Like you said, there are so many ways to do it, but I, I can very much identify with kind of how you got to where you are. Um, and the one team member I didn't mention that we just literally, I was doing a lot of the investor relations, working with my husband on our last, our last project and with the investor growth and I'm working part-time, like I just, I'm like, and we're, and literally this project we're closing on next week, it was is literally our largest project. And it was literally the four times what we raised on the last project. So so I was like, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to be able to handle. Um, it's not the highest and best use of my time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm detailed, but I'm not, I'm like, not as detailed as you need to be. I mean, you're trying to collect, not collect money, but find out the, the, the 
paperwork has been signed? Have you wired our money? Have we sent them a receipt? Are they in the database? It's a whole process, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, we did hire someone at the beginning of the, of the fund. We've been looking for like an investor relations kind of team member and she's wonderful and she's been a breath of fresh air and we are paying her a salary with an additional kind of like bonus once we close. So even, even with, with, with that, you know, she's amazing. Um, she's a valuable team member, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but we're, we're giving her part of the win too. And that's, yep. that's, that's also really important because she's working her butt off. Uh, the whole team is, you know? Um, so yeah, it's just, just a um, point of reference there, but I, I yeah. think, you know, people win together, they lose together. That's the whole, I mean, we've been in equity for a long time. We have probably more experience on raising private money with, with equity than we do even with lending. We got, we have private loans, we've done flips and, yeah. but I, we've had much, we've done much more on the equity side and, yeah. you know, there's the pros and cons to it, but with the equity side, you do win, you do lose. Um, and these people are in it, right? Yeah. There's no, there's no money back guarantee, yeah. you know? And I think what you're describing there, whether it is someone who's hired and on a salary or whether it's someone who's a full-on partner in the deal is you work to align incentives. And that's so huge mm-hmm. to make thing, make sure everyone's on the same page and working towards the same goal. Yeah. You've got to align those incentives. So I really like that. You know, one question I have for you about partnering, and when I say partnering in this sense, it's true, like the equity partners or the, the fellow GPs, you know, what's your process for finding the right people you know, how long does it take? Do you feel like you go out there looking for a specific person or do these things come organically as you network and get to know people? Because I kind of see two, two examples out there. Sometimes I see the people who, you know, the second they talk to someone else who's interested in things kind of similar, they're, they're partnering up. And to me, that kind of feels like jumping into marriage after the first date. It is. Then there are also people, and I'm probably more on this side, who take a little too long to, to find those partners and to really build the, the partnership that can get you to the next level. And that's yeah. one thing I'm working on currently. So I'd be interested to hear about your process. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. So when I was, when I shared with you what I was doing with consulting, my job for 10 years until I left it and I had my son about almost seven years ago, um, I was doing consulting where I was helping people with a personality assessment form teams. So that is literally what I did professionally for a decade. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Going into companies, helping them figure out personality strengths, team fit, you know, um, hiring and managing people. How do I manage somebody? I mean, that's what I did. I flew everywhere. I worked with teams. It was great. Um, I just got burned out of the work, to be honest. And I I knew that it was time to move on. Um, And I really wanted to, I was like an older mom. So I really wanted to focus on being a mom. And then I've gotten into other things, of course. But to answer your question, um, so yeah, so as I share this, I'm sharing it from both the real estate investor like experience side, but also just from my days of building teams and knowing personalities the way I do. Um, there's three things. I, I feel like there's areas that you need to buy, be diverse in, and there's areas you need to have similarities in. So when you're looking for a partner, I'll talk about similarities, values. Like those should not be different. Like you should have the same values as a partner. Um, for example, if you have an entrepreneurial spirit and you're like, oh, delayed gratification, right? It's part of the entrepreneurial spirit, I would say. It's not like, where's my, where's my paycheck? I've been working in a month. That's not how this works. <laughs> it's just not how entrepreneurship works, right? Mm-hmm. We don't get paid first. Um, so we've worked with partners in the past where they needed to, even in their own financial life. And that's okay. Their family, hey, everyone's got finance, different financial goals and financial kind of pressures, if you will. Um, that was a different value set. 
and they didn't share that same entrepreneurial kind of mindset. Um, and, and that really, really, really hurt our partnership. So that's number one is, do you share the same values? Um, even the same values of what you value, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and even talking about that, you, you, you could talk to somebody over coffee and you could hear their values. It's what mm-hmm. they talk about, you know, quite honestly. Um, so that's number one. If you really want to find partners, figure out what you value, write it down. People don't spend that time. Oh, what yep. are my values? If I asked 10 people, what are your values? They probably wouldn't, they'd have to think about it. So again, the clearer you are with yourself and what's important to you, the clearer it will be to find a partner, in my opinion. So values is number one. Um, goals, those should be similar with people or partners. Um, and that does change over time. Partnerships change. Partnerships end, just like marriages, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to evolve with a partner, you better have two very personal, personally growth-minded self-developing people who are going to build together because it's not easy, just like a marriage, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's why most marriages end in divorce. Mm-hmm. That's why most partnerships do too, because it's not easy. It's, it's hard work. And so um, finding people that kind of have that same value set, that same work ethic, that same ability to like look themselves in the mirror and say, you know what? I came across this way. Let, let me work on that or whatever those conversations are. Not easy to have, but your best partnerships, those are the kind of people that you've had those conversations with, right? And then you have a breakthrough and you're better partners for it or better married people for it. So that's where you need to be similar, where you need to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, so like attracts like, usually people who are extroverted like other extroverts, people who are, who are more analytical and technical like other people like that. And sometimes those are the worst people for each other. Because if you are someone who's more friendly and outgoing and extroverted, those are some of the worst people that you could be working with. Because quite honestly, they're just like you. You don't need more people like you. You need people that come at things differently. Um, I used to do an exercise in my team buildings where you'd, you'd put all the same personality people, personality traits together. And then you'd, give a, then you'd have a diverse group of people. And then you'd time how long it took them to figure out the exercise and the problem and, and solve the problem. It always took the diverse group of people and personalities, they took less time than the people who were similar all the time. Because think about it. It's like, if I'm an introvert and you're an extrovert, we're going to get things done faster. I don't need to talk as much as you do or whatever it might be. And they got things done faster where the group of dominant people were just talking over each other. The analytical people were analyzing it too much. The people who were, uh, you know, slow and steady were trying to figure out the instructions, you know, the whole thing. So you always want to find people who have a different personality style than you. Um, Not so different that it's oil and water that can happen um because then if you are like an extreme this and they're an extreme that you could totally butt heads but a complementary different style is really important um i still have access to the tool that we we, i used to work with so anyone we work with on our team takes this tool just because it's like in my blood because i believe in it so much and i saw it work for a decade um beyond personality i just i'm speaking about personality because i think people just don't consider the importance of it. Um, They're just like, oh, that's nice. You're an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Actually, it's more than that. People who are critical thinkers and critical teams and get things done faster and high performance actually have different personality traits. They just do, in my Mm -hmm. experience, what I saw. So personality skills, pretty obvious, but you want a diversity of skills Mm -hmm. um, because there's, there's an analytical there's a whole analytical technical piece to, to, to large multifamily. And there's a whole relationship building, raising money, enrolling people, skill set. Those are two very different personality 
styles. Mm -hmm. So that's the other skill, but it's also skill set, you know, and what skills do people need? Um, again, behavior is different than skills. And then, and then experience. It's really nice to see diversity of experience. So be different with experience, skills, and personality, values, goals, and, and kind of like your core. That's the stuff that needs to be the same. And then and, and you, you get clarity around yourself in those areas. And you start to say, what are the gaps? What do I really like? What's needed in large multifamily? What do I bring to the table? And then there's going to be a gap. That's when you're like crystal clear and you meet somebody, you know, so I go back to you, Megan. It's like, you might take it a long time because you may not have met the right person to, 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 I don't know. I don't know that we'd have to talk more, but I'm just, you know, sometimes it takes us a while because either we're not clear or or the people we're hanging around with, like a lot of networking events. Think about mm -hmm. it. If you're looking for an, an analytical, introverted person, and you're like going to all these network, even Zoom networking, mm -hmm. they may not be there because yeah. they don't really like networking events. They hate <laughs> talking to people. So you got to look. You got to think about it in different ways. All right. If I'm looking for a really underwriter, analytical person, how can I get to that person? To think they're gonna like call you right, is, is, it not, is nonsense, right? It's just funny because they hate, they don't want to talk to you, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah. But you may, you need them and they need you. They just don't know that. So how do you find them? And there's other ways to do that. So if I'm a, oh, I'm a networker. I know people who, who what people would know people like that? I can start asking, you know, versus like going to these events and thinking you're going to meet people when they're not going there. And right. if they're there, they're not going to say anything to you. And they don't like you when they first meet you. <laughs> It's probably very true for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I love that we're diving into this much depth on this subject because we've talked about teams several times before already on this podcast, but I don't think we've gotten to this level of detail. And how you, you, you got me on a high, it, you know, yeah, you got me on a high, high note here because this is like, I love talking about it. I Sorry. love that. I love that. So I think this is so actionable for so many people out there. Do you have recommendations for uh, different assessment tools that people who yeah. want to look it up could use? Yeah. First off, don't do anything that's free. Just yeah. don't do anything free because people are like, oh, I got this assessment tool. It's what, what animal? Don't, no, you don't need an animal. That's fun. It's not Cosmo. Like when I talk about assessment tools, these are, these are scientifically validated assessment tools. These are a lot of smart people who have come together to put this together. The tool we worked with um, is called the predictive index. Now the, the rub with predictive index is that it's actually sold to companies to use within their companies. So it's, it's a little less accessible to individuals who just want to take it. Yeah. Um, that's, that, that's just the way, but it's an amazing tool if you can get your hands on it. Um, I'd also recommend DISC. DISC is a very popular tool out there. It's I, I, you know very reasonably priced. Um, they're usually less than $100 uh, and it's a good tool. You know, it's a good tool, it gets to, to the core of you know, the four you know, personality traits and things like that. Um, the strengths finder is a good one. It's based on a book, you know, it was also very helpful. It goes through like what my strengths are. Uh, I think they're like, effectively all the different categories, but that, that, that opened my eyes. Um, another good one that's less talked about is Colby. Okay. I got to have her on our podcast. Cause she's a Kathy Colby is actually who started it. So it's a woman who started this with this assessment, which is super cool, but it's all about natural instincts. And, and it shows you again, four categories where you are in what your kind of natural instinct is. Um, very, very eye-opening. So I'd recommend those yeah. all reasonable priced. I think StrengthsFinder is even free if you, if you buy the book kind of thing. But I, I, I really believe in those because the more clarity you are, so the more clear you are, excuse me, about yourself, your limitations, your, your strengths, um, 
better off you're going to be. And I, it's yeah. a lifelong journey. I mean, believe me, you think I know everything since I used to teach this. I'm still learning, especially as we're growing our investor community and our business and we're growing mm. our own team. It's very personal now. It's very easy to give people advice, right? But when it comes to your own team, you have to really constantly look at yourself and go, I really enjoy this. And even if I enjoy it, should I let go of it, right? Mm -hmm. Just because you you, you're actually good at something doesn't mean you should keep doing it. Right. That's the other mind-blowing thing. I mean, the, the, bad, the stuff you're not good at, that's easy to let go to a team member and say, okay, where can I find a team member like that? But the stuff that you're actually good at as you grow, that's the stuff too that you need to sometimes let go of. So you can yeah. think more strategically and think more as a leader. Yep. And that's huge because you can, you can get good at a lot of things along the way that still aren't, to use a term you used earlier, your highest and best use of yep. your time and, and efforts. So that's huge. I really have loved that conversation. You mentioned a couple of times in the last few minutes, something that I want to make sure we spend some time on the real estate investor community. I, I would love to just have you share a little bit more about that community and some of the big things you're doing, like the, the book that was just published. Sure. Sure. So yeah, a couple of years ago, I was actively investing with, with my, my now partner, Andressa. She uh, and I were, were partnered um, along with our husbands on a, on a few projects we were doing in Philadelphia. So we started out as friends. Um, and then we said, let's partner on this deal. And then that, that went to like five or six deals in, in Philadelphia. We did some new construction. We did some flips, more short-term projects. And over just talking about the project and this and that, we would be talking about different things. And uh, we we're like, there's gotta be more women in this business. You know, we just always kind of noticed we went to events, we went to networking, we went to meetups, and we always seemed to only, you know, be the only woman in the room. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I work really well with men. I love men. I really do. So as we, we formed this, it wasn't about bashing men or men are wrong. Like, I love men. They're great. But I think there's a, an amazing um, energy that comes out when you get a group of women talking to each other and supporting each other. It's very different when men, when men and women are there versus women only. And I can tell you that because now I've sat into our 25 plus meetups virtually, a lot of them virtually at this point too, just where we are. But there's just this amazing openness and authenticity and the guard goes down. So that's what we're building. There's nothing wrong with any other amazing groups out there. We're building a safe space for women to, get, to really feel empowered to live a financially free and balanced life. So we're all about financial freedom through real estate. Obviously that's where our focus is, but the idea of like, how do you do it in a balanced way? We have young kids. We're always like feeling overwhelmed, trying to balance so many things. Um, we got involved in real estate investing so that we didn't feel beholden to a job, right? Or beholden to something. But sometimes when you work really hard, you create your own job. So, so that whole thing, right? And so that, you know, we really built this community out of a selfish need of wanting to get really amazing women together so we all can kind of grow together, to be honest with you. And we started the podcast then we started with, then we did a Facebook community. We got about 5,000 women there and, um, and then we started the meetup. And then they're like, people would be like, let, let me start a meetup in here or there. We're like, we didn't even think about that. So now we have about 26 meetups and about 7,000 women in that network around the country. And, um, and as we've been growing, we're like, these are all free things, free services. Um, and we said, we, you know, we started out with a passion. It wasn't even like an LLC. And about a year ago, we created a business and said, okay, this is a business. You know, this can be a business too, although it's our passion as well. So we said, let's, what can we do for women? what we could put together. So we started talking about doing it. We did a summit this year. That was like our first event that we actually charged for out of the last three years we started. 
And um, that went over really well with 200 attendees, really proud of, with some sponsors. It was a great day. It was a really, really, really good day of all women speaking, obviously, on different things. Um, and then that led into talking with um, Ashley earlier this year. She's like, do you want to contribute to this book? When I first met you and Andressa, we were literally the only women in that room at that conference. And I, and I promised myself I wanted to change that. I wanted, I wanted to create a book that had women role models, right? Women that... Um, we all could see ourselves in because when we can see ourselves, she can do it. I can do it. And even now, right? I mean, that's what Oprah said when she said, I want to be a talk show host. She saw Barbara Walters on the TV and said, if she could do it. I can do it. So that's what we wanted to create for the real estate investing space. Um, so she's like, I'm putting this book together. I'm like, that's amazing. We felt so aligned, right? Because we're like, you're putting this book together. It's so aligned with our mission. And she said, do you want to contribute? We're like, we'll contribute, but we'd love to publish it. And she, so that was new for us, obviously, of what that even meant. Um, yeah. But then we said this could be something that we start to do where we really shine a light on women's voices. And that's the kind of books we want to publish, um, both real estate investing and self-care dedicated to women. So that was the impetus of that. And it just got released. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a number one new release on women in business, which I didn't even know was a category, but it is a category. And I'm, we're, we're proud of that. And yes. I think it's like three on the bestsellers list for women in business. And it's like eight today, a week later on uh, real estate investing. So really proud of it. it you know, I'm biased because I've, I've read it like 95 times, of course, because <laughs> we were looking for mistakes. And when I read it, I'm like, what well, can I, you know, can I learn something from this? And I got so much from these women's stories. They're funny. They're emotional. You'll cry. Um, you'll feel empowered. A lot of the chapters are just chock full of like, do this, then that, then that. Self-storage, multifamily, burr, like, just a very cool book. I'm very proud to be part of it and part of to release it to the world. So I feel very passionate about it. That's awesome. I'm so excited to read it. I've got mine on the way. And awesome. I just think that it's amazing kind of, like you said, anyone, whether it's based on gender or race or religion, whatever it is that you identify with, um, when you see examples of other people like you doing things, it, it does a lot. It, it yeah. just mentally, you might not even realize what it's doing for you, but it does so much. And, you know, I was, um, in the Marine Corps right after college and wow. I did a short stint, um, just with kind of the recruiting station in my city. And they, that was the first time I realized cause the, the, the recruiters were like, get her out in front of people because there were, and I realized women didn't even know they could be in the Marine Corps. <laughs> they didn't know that females wow. could join the Marine Corps. And it was yeah. such a big thing just to have someone out there who they're like, Oh, okay. So I can do that. And that is just true across, across everything. And I love that you guys are doing this. You're creating this community. I mean, it is going strong at this point. And this book is I've heard so many good things already and oh, I'm so good. excited to read it. So yeah, everyone that. definitely check out the only woman in the room. Uh, you obviously don't have to be a female to read it. I've no. already seen male real estate investor friends of mine yeah. posting about the fact that they've ordered it and they're reading through it. And oh, so good. it's going to bring um, a lot to so many people. And men have actually been incredibly supportive uh, of the book, which is really cool. And, and our community, to be perfectly frank, and they, it's, it's interesting because now that we've started our community, people will ask me, um, hey, do you have any women, women that you know that are specialized in this area? We're trying to get a more diverse panel together or a diverse this together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's all about like awareness. We know that from everything that's been going on in our country. Some people are blind to, wow, I didn't know this was a problem. Yep. This is a problem we need to get figured out, especially if you're somebody who's interested in equality and all those important things in our world. 
the same things for, 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 for gender discrimination. We don't even realize it. And, and, and I'm like, um, yeah, I could give you names for a panel, but how about the woman being a keynote? Cause it's always like, oh, women are on a panel and, and, and like, that's, it's ridiculous. Yep. Someone said, I, I said to someone, I started our podcast two years ago, not 1955, but two years ago, I said, we're going to do a podcast where we just interview women. Cause there are other podcasts who interview women and men and the podcast is dedicated to women, which doesn't make any sense to me. You know what I mean? Like in my mind, I'm like, no, I want to just focus on women only. Mm-hmm. I said that to a gentleman and he said, oh, you're going to run out of women. There's not that many women investors. I said, <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, I didn't know a lot of them, to be honest with you, but I'm like, I don't think we'll run out. We haven't. We're 133 episodes in. We haven't run out. I mean, there's a tremendous amount. Women are usually just like doing their thing. They're a little quieter. They're successful. But like as more and more women have joined our community, it's just so cool. Cause I'm like the woman that um, we interviewed recently, it was a pipe in the thirties, but she went into our Facebook community. The question is how, what's your experience? She's called like, oh, in the last 12 months, I've closed 72 units. I'm like, I got to interview that woman. You know, like right. she, she said it matter of factly, that wasn't even like boastful because women really usually aren't like that. You know, we were more dismissive of our successes in some ways. Mm-hmm. And she said it very kind of like nonchalantly. And I'm like, and now she's a meetup leader and she's just, you know, a wonderful part of our community. But I'm like, I love that. I love that we are, you know, highlighting women that are um, giving them the confidence and, and we all can grow together. And it's not just for newbies. It's for all kinds of women. We have experienced women. We have women who don't need to work another day in their life. And they're posting questions. Hey, what do you guys think about this? I'm looking to, you know, have this pivot into this asset class or I'm done with multifamily. What do you know about soft storage? These are women who probably are doing just fine financially, but yeah. they're still growing and scaling or shifting. And that's what our community is about. You know, I, that's what I love about it. Cause it's not just focused on newbies or, or, or experienced. It's, it's all, all kinds of women and I love it. And I've been in this business for 15 years. Yeah. I learned stuff. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So everyone definitely look up the real estate investor podcast, wherever podcasts are, make sure you check them out on Facebook, uh, go buy your copy of the only woman in the room. So much good stuff happening there. So, you know, we're running out of time here. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I have one final question for you, Liz. Sure. This is a question we ask every single one of our guests. Um, just kind of a fun thing to, to wrap up with. If I were to say that today you could take all the equity from all the, the properties that you, you own, um, so you get all that back, you know, just right away. And I will write you a $10 million check, but you cannot invest in real estate anymore. You have to do something else. You can, I don't care what it is, but no more real estate. Would you take the check or would you say, no, thanks. I'll stick with real estate. Ooh. I probably would, depending on which building you're talking about. If it's all the buildings. <laughs> all the buildings. All, all right. The buildings. All of all, there's a lot of, so some of our assets. I'm like, yeah, take that one. But this one we're going <laughs> to keep. Um, if it was a collective and you said, do something different, I'd probably say no. You know, yeah. I'd probably say no, because, you know, we, we are focused on, on, on real estate. During COVID, though, I will just answer this. During COVID, it's really gotten us thinking about diversifying um, into buying some, you know, businesses or a business that's, connected to real estate, but not real estate, you know? And so where we kind of, we, we're, you know, interested in doing that. I haven't, you know, we haven't taken a, a ton of action. I'd probably bring a partner in. I have to think of that a little more, mm-hmm. but that is something we want to do. I've been, um, even like a laundry facility, like a coin operated 
laundry facility that that could just be a different ancillary business because right now businesses i mean are, it's just a huge opportunity right yeah. to create win-wins people are a lot of small businesses are struggling and people especially for those businesses that can maybe support your real estate it's a no-brainer but it's just obviously takes time money and energy to figure out yep. um that's kind of like maybe 2021 20, or sooner than later for us because we just have a lot of other priorities but um so i would do that in addition i don't think i'd let go of all of our assets yeah that's fair. Completely understandable, especially, I mean, you guys have been at it for a while and, you know, the sky's the limit when you've got that kind of experience and drive and, and you're, you're still going. So that's awesome. Well, thank you again, Liz. This has been an incredible episode. I really appreciate all the different things you went through with us, and sure. especially that deep dive into partnering. I mean, my mind is like going right now about Good. all of that. So thank you again. Uh, we'll, we might need to have you guys back at some point. You Happy and your husband or both of you together. You guys just have so much knowledge and I'm sure there are a million other things we could cover too. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure, Megan. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Multifamily Mavericks. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review and share it with your friends. It helps us grow, which helps us find great guests, which in turn helps you grow. And don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn or on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks, at Daily Real Estate Investor, at Part-Time Empire. Join us next time to keep learning the multifamily game and scale up to financial freedom.